0: off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's B-L-W-P-O-D. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way.
1: I've really enjoyed watching your kids with the baby lead weaning because it is funny how many textures they can handle. The first time you gave somebody cooked broccoli and I was like, you're gonna let that baby eat cooked broccoli and they're shoving it in their mouth. But I was pretty impressed.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby lead weaning. Here on the Baby Lead Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Well, hey guys, welcome back. This is a very special Mother's Day episode. I mean, it's special to me because I'm interviewing my mom and my mom is a piece of work. She consented to this, by the way, (laughs) she's a registered dietitian mom of six. I'm her oldest, not a huge fan of baby led weaning for a very long time. So when you guys write to me and you're like, my mom doesn't like baby led weaning. I'm like, I feel you. But I wanted to bring her on the podcast because she's notorious. Like back in the day, she would say, but I spoon fed all of you guys and you turned out fine. And we did. It's not the end of the world. If you do spoon feeding, obviously millions and millions of babies over the generations have lived to talk about it. But I wanted to have a conversation with my mom about what she thinks about baby led weaning now because she has 20 grandkids. So between me and my five siblings, we have 20 kids together, half of whom 10 have done baby led weaning. We're not comparing them to the half who haven't. I just want to get her take like now a little bit farther down the road. What does she think about baby led weaning? Is it something she would recommend? And then also my dad comes in at the end and makes fun of my podcast voice, which he does in person all the time. And I'm so glad we finally captured it for the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy this special Mother's Day episode with my mom, Mary Clark, aka Granny, talking about how she spoon-fed all of us, and we're fine, but spoiler alert, she actually really likes baby-led weaning now. Well, mom, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. It was nice of you to invite me. I know, finally. It took a hundred some odd episodes, but we're saving the best. It's for Mother's Day. So you've been my mom for 42 years. And back in 1978, when I was born, what was it like when you were feeding your oldest baby solid food for the first time? Like, take us back there.
1: So you're right. You're my first baby. I was scared, but I was also very excited because people told me that once you start feeding your baby solid food, the baby will sleep better during the night. And to me, that was a big plus. I actually can't remember whether that worked or not. But yes, we were very traditional back then. I bought my first box of Gerber baby rice cereal, which was little flakes. You put a little bit of warm water in and mixed it up and it looked like wallpaper paste. And that was what you're supposed to feed your baby first. So you put it in her mouth and she immediately sticks her tongue out and pushes it out because it's all brand new. But after a while, she gets it. Then you move on to oatmeal and then to little jars of carrots and peas. The worst thing about it, I remember it being very expensive because at that point, I breastfed the babies till they were six months old. But from six to 12 months, I was buying diapers, formula, and baby food. And I would cry at the grocery store. But
0: that's how I started. Okay. So then you went on to have five more kids, obviously. I'm the oldest. A lot of parents will say like, as they progress with having more kids, they kind of get less vigilant or freaked out or scared about feeding? Like, can you remember if your approach to feeding your babies changed over the years, moving from one to six? Like with Frankie, your youngest, like, did you just like let him eat whatever? What changed? Yeah, I I think it
1: probably changed. First of all, when, by the time you have your sixth kid, and by the way, i had my children one at a time, like normal people. (laughs) I wasn't blessed blessed with any multiples, like some of my daughters. (laughs) So I had a little bit more time to feed them. Mind you. So I think that by the time the sixth one came around, he would be sitting in the high chair and the other kids would just walk by and probably drop food on the high chair table. And I really didn't care whether he ate it or not. And he probably picked up food off the floor maybe and ate it. So it got a little bit messier. And Yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't nearly as strict. I didn't spoon feed everything after a while.
0: Okay, so you're a dietitian, which is why I became a dietitian, and you work with older folks in long-term care in nursing homes. So my mom has a business where she's a consultant dietitian in long-term care. And I used to work with you a little bit before I got into infant feeding. And now that I've been doing this for so long, I really remember how many similarities there are between the opposite ends of the lifespan when it comes to feeding. So could you share maybe how feeding babies is actually kind of like feeding old people?
1: No, it really is. From the old people's standpoint though, when it comes to feeding, it's all about dignity. You know, the last thing you want to do is spoon-feed. You want to make them as as independent as possible, which is what you're doing with your babies as well. It's not so much a dignity issue, it's just a learning issue at that point. But with the older folks, it's the same kind of thing. They need to have their motor skills to be able to get the spoon to their mouth without making a mess. A lot of older folks don't like wearing a bib or any kind of a clothing covering. I know a lot of babies rip their bibs off as soon as you put them on. The older folks really do try not to be messy. Now, I don't think babies try not to be messy, but yes, there is a lot of similarities. You have to watch how they swallow, that they're sitting up straight. All the same things that you do with a baby.
0: I always think about it when the like the teeth thing comes into play. Like I remember walking into a residence room and their dentures would be in the glass on their bedside table and They don't have teeth and yet they can still eat a variety of different textures. And parents worry about that. Babies don't need teeth to start solid foods. They can actually eat pretty well. Like their gums are pretty strong.
1: Oh, no, that's amazing. I have seen people gum steaks, pork chops. It's amazing. And some actually some people who have dentures, if they don't fit, then they're painful. So it's a lot easier for them to take it out. But yes, absolutely. You can gum food pretty well.
0: I think another similarity between the opposite ends of the lifespan, too, is that Babies as well as older folks can get most of the nutrients they need from foods and they don't need supplements. Like obviously there are cases where, you know, you would have a diagnosed nutrient deficiency, but in so much of just like the lay media, you hear like, oh, you need to have this supplement and that supplement because you're old or because you're a baby. But we're both pretty much big advocates for a food first approach to getting nutrition, even if it's old people or young people, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So actually in a facility in a nursing home, the older folks are actually at an advantage because the meals are served to them. So they're served a well-balanced meal. Older folks who are at home, who decided they're tired of cooking, they just grab anything that they can find. And so and Ensure is probably easier than making themselves a sandwich or cooking something for their meal. So yeah, actually, food is, we always go food first.
0: Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Better Help. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And I think supplements like Insure or Boost, like they are supplements. They can be part of the diet, but just like purees go, like you cannot live on purees alone. That's a one texture for babies to master. Like a liquid supplement is just a part of the diet. We need to have a variety of foods and textures at, you know, all aspects of the lifespan, including babies. So there are a lot of similarities there between old people and between babies for sure.
1: I've really enjoyed watching your kids with the baby bun weeding because it is funny how many textures they can handle. The first time you gave uh, somebody a bunch of broccoli, cooked broccoli, remember on the blanket out in the backyard? And I was like, you're going to, let that baby eat cooked broccoli and they're shoving it in their mouth
0: and gagging. But I was pretty impressed. I remember you actually, so I was doing baby led weaning with the quadruplets and I remember you being like, I mean, this is fine and it's cute, but you were kind of scoffing at it a little bit. Like, you know, they eventually need to learn how to eat with spoons and and they do what they feed themselves. I guess now that you've seen baby led weaning in action with so many of your own grandkids, what do you think about it as far as like a philosophy goes compared to traditional spoon feeding? And you can be honest.
1: No, I think first, the one thing I didn't like about it was it was so messy. I just thought that spoon feeding was less messy. But then after a while, you realize that it's so much more fun for the baby to have a lot more different food. I would think it's exciting, all the different textures in their mouth and the funny look on their face when you put something different in their mouth. It has a different texture. I love that.
0: And you mentioned the cost earlier, like it is actually more affordable if you're just making modified versions of the same foods your family eats. Yeah, no, I could see that. Like there's no baby food in your house. It's like whatever's in mom's refrigerator. I love when one of my nieces or nephews is there, like I'll find something that she's already made that they can eat. It's so much easier than having to get baby food.
1: I do believe that. I think it is. Well, it might not be easier because to open a jar is pretty easy. But again, there was such a little variety. I mean, in the baby food companies, you know, then they started making chicken and noodles or, you know, beef and rice that had a little tiny bit of texture in
0: it. Remember when they had baby food desserts? Like, I distinctly remember going to Ralph's and being like, there was like, like, there was such a thing as baby food dessert, you guys. Like, that's insane.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. I wonder how much baby food they actually sell now.
0: Well, it's all pouches, right? Because there's this notion, first of all, some parents are paying between $3 and $4 for one pouch and they offer three of those a day. So do the math on that. That's $12 a day times 30 days in a month. And by the way, three pouches a day is not nutritionally adequate for babies. You're spending north of $350 for something you absolutely don't need. You could just be putting that money towards making real food that everyone else in your family could eat. So I would argue that, especially with the direction of pouches because of the perception of the convenience, that the prices have gone up, the cost has gone up. It's even more affordable to do baby-led weaning today.
1: Well, when we were feeding our babies pureed food, if you wanted to be very organic, you could take your own vegetables and puree them and put them in a little cupcake tin and freeze them, and it goes on and on and on. I
0: remember you had a banana masher. Like, who needs a banana? Who can't just use the back of a fork to mash a banana? Like, you had a thing with the rotary thing on the top, remember, to grind up a banana into puree?
1: It was probably a gift.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you have... 20 grandkids. I was just adding it up because exactly half have done baby led weaning. So that's my quadruplets and my twins, Kelly's twins, and then Frankie and Cece's two youngest kids. So that's 10. What's your take on the grandkids who did baby led weaning? Not like comparing them to the other ones who didn't, but for those last 10, do you think compared to maybe your friends that have grandkids? And as far as picky eating goes, like, was it beneficial for them to do baby led weaning from your aspect as the grandmother?
1: Well, I would say that all the kids that you mentioned just now are really not picky eaters. They pretty much give it a shot, you know, try everything. I don't know. Did the first did the first 10, were they spoon-fed or was it kind of half and half?
0: I mean, I definitely remember Kelly like having a race to get through a thing of purees as quickly as she could because she was all about efficiency. So I would say they were traditionally spoon-fed. And I know like when other kids come to our house, again, you just kind of sometimes notice that certain kids are certainly more picky. And there's some degree of picky eating that sets in in the second year of life. But I just think a lot of people listening are worried because their mother or their mother-in-law is like, this is a pain in the neck. This isn't worth it. I spoon fed all of you kids and you turned out fine. Like what would you say to those moms who haven't had the experience of their mom or their mother-in-law having done this and seen it work? Like what advice could you give to them?
1: I would say it's definitely, it makes more sense. It really does make more sense, especially like listening to some of your podcasts that I have in the past. It really does make more sense. Like, why did we go backwards and start pureeing everything for babies when they really didn't have to? I'm sure back in the day, way, way back, they probably just gave them regular food.
0: It does make sense. Like we talk so much about being a responsive feeder for breastfeeding and bottle feeding. And then all of a sudden, like at six months, we just take away the baby's autonomy to feed themselves and then expect them to be independent eaters when they're toddlers. Like it's kind of this weird six month period where in traditional spoon feeding, you literally like go backwards. So I I like that baby led weaning keeps you in that independent feeding mode, like let kids do what they were, you know, designed to do essentially.
1: Well, the other thing is as far as picky eaters, you know, when you introduce foods to babies, they're excited about it. But I think when they get to be 18 months or two years is when they start to get a little bit pickier.
0: Don't you think? Absolutely. And the, the more foods they've seen early on in that flavor window where they'll like and accept a lot of foods, the more likely they are to continue those because those 10 grandkids, they've all tried a hundred different foods by the the time they turn one. And if you compare that to traditional spoon feeding, traditional spoon feeding babies have only had 10 or 15 foods. If you lose those 10 or 15 foods to picky eating, you're totally up a Creek. That becomes like such a hard child to feed. But a kid that has a hundred foods under their belt, when you take 10 or 15 away, it really doesn't make that big of a deal. There's still something in your fridge that I can find to feed that baby.
1: No, I think if I, yeah, you're right. If I was having babies now, I would do the baby-led weaning because I do believe that it's easier and it's better.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, And you didn't always think that though, because I remember you kind of like, again, just, you know, you're like, that's Katie, whatever, do whatever you want. But I had struggled so much with spoon feeding Molly. And I always tell the story, but I remember one time when she was a baby and starting solids, you and Kelly invited me to go like to a park or the zoo or something. And it was around lunchtime. And Kelly has six kids. And well, she didn't have six at the time, but she like knew everything about babies and you know everything about babies. And I remember lying to you guys and saying I couldn't go, not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't want you guys to see me struggling feeding Molly, because like, what sort of mom can't feed her own baby? And then like, what sort of dietitian mom can't feed her? Like, I remember it being a real pain point for me. And I felt like such a failure because I couldn't get Molly to eat. But now I know I was starting way too early. I was basically force feeding her. She wasn't ready. It was like everything I now know and learned from doing baby led weaning later with the quadruplets and the twins, like, oh, they can do this by themselves. I just need to kind of set them up for success.
1: And didn't some of the quadruplets do better at certain times, like some started earlier.
0: Oh, yeah. Like Henry waited six extra weeks from everyone else. I started when they were six months adjusted. So it was six months plus six weeks. And even then Henry took another six weeks. He was literally like nine months chronological age before he put his head up and started eating. And I know you helped me with dinner sometime. And Henry is still always the last (laughs) kid done. So it kind of makes sense.
1: But still, you're right. You have to wait till the baby's ready. But I do think one of the funny things about spoon feeding is you'll put something in their mouth and then they like it. They like it. You put something else in, without changing their facial expression. They just stick that tongue out and push it out. They don't make a face. They can't talk. They can't say I don't like this, but it's really funny.
0: But they are to some degree telling you they don't like it. <laughs> They're like absolutely really rejecting yep. your feeding attempt. Uh-huh. So, and trying I remember
1: feeding in between. It doesn't work.
0: I know, and I remember telling a lot of parents will ask me like, "What do I do?" Because my mom or my mother in law doesn't support this, and they'll say that line. You know, you were spoon fed, and you guys turned out fine. And I always tell the story of like, I remember kind of catching you, like you were like begrudgingly helping me with the babies, with the quadruplets being like, I don't get what you're doing, but like, whatever you do, you I'll help you put the sweet potatoes out. And then I caught you on the phone, like in my old house, remember in that, like the front room when you walked in and you were talking to Helen, your other friend, who's a dietitian You're like, oh my gosh. And then Claire was eating beets and then Claire was eating sardines. Like, can you believe it? And I remember like you eventually got to a point where you were like, bragging about your grandkids eating and you, you guys she is not one to brag about her grandkids like, you're gonna have to earn a compliment from her but i remember thinking like that was so cool that we turned a corner from you like scoffing at it to being like okay this is pretty efficient and this is actually pretty cool that babies can do this
1: oh yeah and the, but the variety was what was amazing
0: what's the weirdest baby food that we've fed one of the grandkids in your opinion
1: well, I'm sure everyone says sardines, but really red beets. Although I actually like the pureed red beets. Usually the babies like them because they're sweet. Let me see the weirdest thing. I think when I really freaked out was when you gave them broccoli that very first time. Like big stocks of broccoli. And, and they're they
0: were just with their hands. <laughs> and there's not much eating going on early on. I think that's the thing you learn. Like the more kids you have, like they're fine. They're getting the nutrition from breast milk or formula. You're just giving them the chance to learn how to eat. Yeah, I do. Cool. Oh, you sold me. Mm. Okay, it was really brief. And I have to tell you guys a funny story because my mom and my dad, I go to their house every Monday for dinner. They're very gracious, invite me over with all of my seven kids. A lot of times my husband's traveling. But sometimes after a glass or two of wine, my dad will make fun of my podcast voice. And I've mentioned it before. And you said that you've listened to a few episodes, but I know you're lying. I know it's only when like another podcast you're listening to ends and it accidentally starts my podcast. Do you end up listening? Is that true?
1: No, I actually on purpose,
0: tuned into two or three, on purpose. Oh, it's cool, mom. There's been like 130, but I'm glad you've got two or three <laughs> of them. I don't have any babies. She does tell her dietetic interns and all the nurses that she works with about baby lead weeding, which is yes, cool. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for doing this, mom. I really appreciate it. And please keep inviting me over for dinner every Monday night. I love you. Okay, honey.
1: Bye-bye. Oh, you want to do your
0: fake yeah. invitation of Katie's podcast voice? No, I don't know how to do it. Dad, I, I, Dad, do we, hi, this is Katie.
1: No, can you hear me? Yeah. So you're talking about when you speak
0: funny on your
1: podcast. And it's so obvious sometimes that it is absolutely you.
0: <laughs> that's not how I really talk. No,
1: you're just very animated. That's a good way to put it.
0: I'm very animated in real life. I just yell a lot more when I'm not on my podcast. That's what my kids say is that your podcast voice is the voice where you don't yell. So that's nice <laughs> that they noticed.
1: When she interviewed, then go back and listen to your interview with of of the, the queen of all that stuff. The one who started
0: it. Oh, Jill Rapley, the two part interview, episodes 100 and 102.
1: That's the one I listened to. No, at
0: the that beginning,
1: was, you first came Wait, that's the
0: best one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well.
0: <laughs> and you still didn't like it?
1: I'm sorry. Not that I don't like it, it's just that wasn't you.
0: Oh, gosh, Dad. Someday I'd have to come on your podcast and tell everyone the truth about who <laughs> I, I really am. Video
1: this morning, oh, man. my God. It took gosh. me five minutes. You should have seen it. It took an hour for this guy to set everything up, and I made sure I wasn't mm-hmm. here,
0: but. Awesome. <laughs> All right, mom and dad, I'll see you guys soon. Okay, have a Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with my mom and then my dad who joined up at the end. My dad cannot stand if he's not the center of attention. So he's like, I want to be on the podcast. But my mom is granny. My dad is Papa John. And there's nowhere where you can go to find their resources online because they're not on the internet. They literally don't even know what Instagram is, which I love. And even getting my mom to do an interview was kind of a technological nightmare. But thanks for sticking around. It's just a little insight into my life. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. You guys are doing a great job, even if your own mom tells you you were spoon fed and you're just fine. You are just fine. Happy Mother's Day. and Thanks for listening.